Hello, and welcome to The Journey's podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to check out The Journey live at one of our two Metro New York locations, including Queens and Manhattan. Visit journeyqueens.com for service times and directions. Now let's join Pastor of The Journey Queens, Mike Cooper, as he teaches live. Now, six years ago, my wife and I, we moved from a little town in New Jersey to New York City. And uh, one of the first places that we went, which is where every tourist goes, Times Square, right? Every local loves Times Square. And so we walked around Times Square, and we found these little shirts that said, I heart New York, right? How many guys, be honest, you own that shirt, right? Anybody here? I, I bought it my size, but then I washed it. Now it fits Blake, basically, because uh, it shrunk in the wash. But uh, many of us, we love New York City, right? I mean, there's nothing better than the hot, sticky sun, 90 degrees on a beautiful fall day, nothing better than walking out of church and there's a street fair and you don't remember where you parked and now it's towed because you parked in the wrong spot, nothing better than riding a subway train and being delayed, right? No, we love New York, right? And just a, a curious question, how many of you here, you, you were born and raised in New York City. How many born and raised proud, right? I salute you. You guys are my prayer warriors, all right? Uh, how many of you, you've moved to New York like within the last two years? You're a fresh New Yorker. Anybody be honest, right? New York is so real, right? It's like, man. Uh, so my wife and I, we've lived here for six years now, and uh, we love it here. We've been having a blast, mostly because there's so much to see here. And uh, I'm a big person that I, I love to like study my city or learn more about New York City because of all the history here. There's so many fascinating things. And so here's, here's something that you probably did not know. Did you know that other than the Bronx, because that's technically upstate New York, I don't know how it got voted into New York City, uh, but other than the Bronx, there's 42 different islands that make up New York City. 42 different little islands. How many think you can name all of them? How many think you've been to all of them, right? So I wanted to look at this because this is pretty fascinating, all these different islands. Let's start with probably the most famous island, the one that we know. It's this one, Manhattan Island, right? Somebody said Long Island. Oh, man. So <laughs> this is Manhattan, right? As Central Park, Times Square, Battery Park, New World Trade Center, all that stuff. Uh, so that's the most famous island. Another pretty famous island is this next one, which is Ellis Island, Ellis Island, right? A lot of our family history, family roots can be tied to this very island. In fact, did you know, another fun fact, one day I'm going to like audition for Jeopardy and I'm going to be in somehow, but like did you know that Ellis Island, 75% of it is actually New Jersey and 25% is New York. I don't know how you divvy up an island like that, but sure. Uh, here goes another famous island which most New Yorkers have probably never been to. It's the Statue of Liberty or the uh, what's it called? Liberty Island, right? How many of you, you're born and raised in New York and you've never been there, right? A lot of us, right? We're like, why would we go there? But you own the hat and everything as if you went there, right? Uh, how about another famous island? Hopefully you've never been to this island. It's this one here, Rikers Island, right? Hopefully, hopefully you've never had an overnight stay there. If not, just write it on your prayer request. We'll pray for you, all right? Uh, here's one more island, and another pretty popular one that it's a hidden gem. This is Governor's Island. It's got a lot of history. There's only a ferry that goes in and out to Governor's Island. Uh, it's got an old military fort. It's beautiful views of the city if you've ever been. Uh, let me show you one more island and see if you could guess what island this is. 
Anybody know what island this is? This is actually, this is a part of the Bronx, and the island here on the left side is City Island, right, known for its seafood, and the one on the right is one that most of us don't know what it's called, but it's called Heart Island. Heart Island. It's a very small island. It's only 101 acres long. It's, it's actually a mile long and a quarter of a mile wide. And back in 1868, Heart Island was purchased by the city of New York to be a burial site for soldiers who had lost their lives in the Civil War. So that's where it started. And today, Heart Island has over one million people that are buried there. But what, what makes this island so significant is actually that these people who are buried there, one million people, they're actually unidentified people. People who along the way they had lost their lives and no one was there to claim them. In fact, every year they add about 1,500 more bodies on this island called Heart Island. And, and you think about it, lives that were lost, no one to account for them. Over a million lives, and no one really knows them by name. Now, here at The Journey, we have this core conviction, this core belief. And our belief is this, that, that every number has a name. Every name has a story, and every story matters to God. I'll say it again. Every number has a name. Every name has a story, and every story matters to God. No matter what you might think about God, know this, that you matter greatly to God. God absolutely cares for everyone. Everyone matters to God, even if God doesn't matter to them. And we see this truth all throughout Scripture. We can read through this lens and understand that people matter to God. Look at our verse here, first, or 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 in your message notes here. Look at what it says. It says, The Lord is not slow in doing what he has promised, the way that some people understand slowness. Now, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about like God is slow in prayer or God is slow to hear us? Back then, people lived their lives with this idea that like God was going to come back at any moment, that Jesus was going to return and nothing happened. And so people understand, well, maybe God is slow. Maybe God just doesn't really care. Now, now today, we face the same issue, remember? I mean, even yesterday, the world was supposed to end, apparently, right? Some guy predicted it. Then like a day before, he's just kidding. Uh, never mind, right? So a lot of us, we have this weird fascination of like, when is Jesus coming back? When is the world ending? And Peter's reminding us, hey, that's not what it's about. If we're going to talk about a flip chart and how Russia is the bear and all this stuff, that's not what it's about. This is what Peter says. He reminds us, he says, but God is being patient with you. Then underline this next phrase. It says, he does not want anyone to be lost, but he wants all people to change their hearts and their lives. God doesn't want anyone to be lost, anyone to not be known by name, but he wants everyone to change their hearts and to change their minds. Now, when we began this series three weeks ago, we talked about the most foundational habits of a Christian. We talked about how do you read and study God's word? How do you dive deep? Uh, we talked about prayer, how prayer is more than just, God, we need you to do this for me, but no, God, I need to hear from you, and God, I need to pray bold prayers and, and dare to do great things. Last week, we talked about our, our finances. We talked about how to be generous with all that God has given us, and we said, most of us, we want to be generous, but we can't because we're strapped, and so we gave you some important tools, some important tips on how to free yourself up financially, but today what I want to talk about is something that God absolutely cares about. In fact, the more and more you get to know God, the closer you get towards Christ, you begin to realize that what God cares most about is lost people. 
God cares most about people who do not know him, and God cares so much about how do we get them to understand who I am. And God gives us this responsibility that we as Christ followers, we are to share his message with those around. In other words, it's not just for the pastors to do. It's not just for those who are super volunteers in the church. But no, if I have faith in Christ, then I have to pass on that faith towards others. Now, when this church began eight years ago, our goal was we wanted to reach people who are far from God. In Queensboro alone, there's 2.3 million people that call Queens home that we know of according to the census. If Queens were to become its own city and be like, forget New York, we're going to be our own city, it would be the fourth largest city in America today. 2.3 million people, but on Sundays, less than 15% go to church on a regular basis. So therefore, if we do the math, it took me a lot of time to do this, but 1.85 million people will not attend church this morning. 1.58 million people in Queens do not have a faith relationship with Christ. In fact, in Forest Hills, just so we understand our community, Forest Hills is a two-square-mile radius. 75,000 people live in Forest Hills. And if we were to look at the population of those who would say they're followers of Jesus, we would have just a little bit more than 1,000 people. That's it, in Forest Hills, 1,000 people. So our church we have a huge opportunity to change that. We have a huge opportunity to reach people. And I wanted you just to kind of see, because many of you guys, you've been so committed to our church, and, and you get this. So let me give you guys some insider info, and then we'll talk a little bit more about this in a moment. But over the past year, so the past nine months, we've had over 300 people attend our church for the first time. Whether you invited them, someone was walking to brunch and they stopped here, someone was going to a movie and they got their popcorn bucket and their big gulp juice and they come, they come to church in, instead. Over 300 people over the last nine months have been a part of our church for the first time. Let me just say first, that's incredible. Like that's insane numbers. Now, this is one thing that I'm more proud of. 62%, when we asked them to take this connection card, write down, how did you hear about us? 62% wrote down, someone's name, like either a neighbor, a member, someone who attends the church, they were someone who invited me. So think about it. For every five people that attends our church for the first time, three of them were invited by you guys. That, that's huge. Now, the national average of church people who invite others to church is 2%. So it means that 98% of us, we never really share our faith with those around. We don't even invite someone to church. But, but us as a church, we're doing that. We're inviting people. Now, why is it that 98% of Christians don't really invite people to church or don't really share their faith? And I began to think about it. I think there's multiple reasons. One is we're busy. You know, we can barely remember what time, what theater we got to be at. So we, we're so busy. We're so distracted. Another one is fear. We don't want to be like that odd guy out. We don't want to be the, the weird person at work. But I think the number one reason why people don't share their faith is because they don't know enough. Like, they're afraid, like, what if someone asks me about the Trinity, and they say, you believe in three gods, not one? Uh, just, just come to my church, and that pastor will tell you, you know? <laughs> a lot of times we think, man, like, if we don't know enough, so we keep ourselves from sharing our faith. But a lot of times we buy into this lie. Because I don't know enough, then I'm not going to invite others to church, or I'm not going to share my faith with those around but actually, it's, it's the opposite. If we want to grow in our faith and we want to learn more, we have to invite others to church. In fact, look at Philemon chapter 1, uh, verse 6 in your notes. It says, I pray 
that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing in Christ. Now, one of the most dangerous places for a follower of Jesus to get to is a place where they never share their faith, a place where their faith almost becomes more inward and self-centered than focused on others, a place where instead of loving those who are far from God, it's easier to point the finger and judge those who are far from God. A place where instead we reach out to others, we just, we retreat and we run from them. So the big question is, how do we shift our mindset? How do we make our life count? I mean, how do we share our faith with those around? And so what I want to do today is I want to give you some important tips, some, some useful things that you could do throughout the week. Do how, how do we practically share our faith so we don't kind of look weird and we don't misrepresent the name of Christ? If you open up your notes to the inside, let me give you four tips. Uh, number one in your notes, the first thing to do is first, we have to recognize that Jesus wants to use me. The first step in sharing our faith with others is we have to understand, we have to recognize that Jesus wants to use me. Now, back in seventh grade, I made the bold step of faith to join the basketball squad. And it wasn't really bold because it was modified basketball. Everyone made the team, but, but it was bold, right? I wanted to play. I wanted to be a part. I loved me some basketball. Back then, the most famous basketball player was Michael Jordan. I had the same first name, so it's got to be a similarity, right? So I joined the basketball team, and it's the modified team. And our first game, they called me up, called out my name, and I was a starter. I couldn't believe it, man. I'm starting my first ever basketball game. This is huge. But what I learned was I wasn't starting for the game. I was, I was starting for something called the fifth quarter. And what the fifth quarter was, it was technically the first quarter. You played it first. But it was for everyone who wasn't going to play at the game itself. These guys, they played in the fifth quarter. And they got to have their exposure. They got to play at that certain time. So I was a starter for the fifth quarter. So when I got the ball, these guys aren't my teammates. I'm scoring a basket. I got to show them how it's done, right? So I was kind of a little bit of ball hog, went to the score, but I always went back to my bench, the most uncomfortable place to sit ever, right? And so midway through the third quarter of the real game, it's not looking good. We're losing by a lot. And so coach looks down. He shouts out my name. says, Coop, right? That, that was my nickname, Coop. He goes, Coop, get up there. You're up. Me? Well, in case he realizes he's called the wrong name, I'm getting up there before the buzzer goes, right? So I went up there, and I just had this determination, like, man, the coach is calling my name. I got to make him proud. I got to score a basket. So I get the ball, throw up probably the ugliest shot ever, you know, and it whirls around the hoop, goes right in swish. Thought, yeah, I scored. So I'm jumping up and down like, my friend, can you believe this? Jumping up and down. And I wish I was making this up. This is an absolutely true story. But as I was jumping up and down, I realized something else was going down. And uh, I had forgotten to check in and tie my shorts. So it was very short-lived. I scored my first points, then right back to the bench to tie your shorts and then end of game, right? So, but, but I say it like this, you know, like it's amazing to think what we're willing to do or how much outside our comfort zone we step when we realize that someone else believes in us. And so if we're to share our faith, God is saying, hey, I believe in you. Now think about that for a moment. This is the God who literally said, let there be light, and out of nothing, light came. This was the God who said, let there be man, and there was a human being. This God can speak anything to existence, and it comes. And for some reason, God says, 
I believe in you. It's your chance, your turn to go and share your faith with those around. Now, most of us, we don't live in that confidence, do we? Most of us, we walk around and we're like, I don't really know. What if I say the wrong thing? I don't even know if I'm a good enough Christian. But see, the problem lies not in God's faith with us, but a lot of times the problem lies with our faith in God. And we see from the very beginning when Jesus calls us, he calls us for a purpose. Look in your notes, Mark chapter 1, verse 17, in your notes it says, come follow me, Jesus said. This was his call to his disciples. And then why does he call them to follow him? It says here in our notes, and I will make you fishers of men. You see, the plan has always been you. That Jesus calls you to follow him, but Jesus also calls you to represent him and share your faith with those around. And see, before God can use you, we have to believe in the power of Jesus. We have to believe that God is the one who can change lives, that God is the one who works in our friends, our coworkers, our family members' lives so that they know that they need Christ. Look at even Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 11. It says, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Now, in metro New York City, there's over 22 million people, and fewer than 1.5 million of them are followers of Jesus. And so odds are that, that when you get on the subway train, you probably might be the only follower of Jesus there. And so if you're waiting on someone else to share their faith, chances are God is saying, no, no that's it's actually you. I'm actually calling you to share your faith with those around. Now, we look at this verse, and we see that God wants to give us rest, that God calls us to share our faith with those around. And, and we know people who have heavy burdens. We know people who are under the burden of fear or shame or regret or loneliness. And, and we know that we have the answer for all of that. Now, listen, we as a church, we could do all we can to invite people. I mean, we could do ads uh, we could do mailers. In fact, one of the most awkward things one time we were doing, Rob and I, we were doing servant evangelism, passing out granola bars and invite cards, and I spilled a bunch of cards on the floor. And uh, as I was picking them up right here on Continental Avenue, I, I forgot that there's my pictures right on the card saying, like, I want to invite you to church. And that was really awkward. Like, well, what's this guy doing? Pick up this mess. I'm picking up cards with my picture on it. That's weird, right? And so, like, we could do that. We could do cards. We could do mailers. We could do ads. We could do Facebook creative stuff. But hands down, the number one, the most effective way for someone to come to church is a personal invitation. In fact, that's probably how many of you came to church. Someone invited you, and you decided to come see it for yourself. And we realize that God wants to use us. This has been the plan from the very beginning. Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20 says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this. Underline this next phrase. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So if you're worried about what do I say, what do I do, don't worry about it. Jesus says, I am with you. As you're going, I am with you. So the first step is I have to recognize that Jesus wants to use me. Across the page in our notes, the second step is I identify people in my sphere of influence to invite. I identify people in my sphere of influence to invite. Now, what I'm talking about is once we believe that God can use us, then God asks us to prayerfully consider, prayerfully identify who in our life we can invite. In fact, it reminds us of this in Colossians chapter 4, 
verse 5, our memory verse for this week, it says, live wisely among those who are not yet Christians. How do we do that? We make the most of every opportunity. So I said earlier, 2.3 million people live in Queens. 1.85 don't go to church on a regular basis. And that sounds like a lot, right? I mean, like, where do we start? How do you reach 1.85 million people? But here's, here's what I believe. I believe in order to reach every person in the city, it starts with all of us reaching every person in our circle. In order to reach every person in the city, it starts by reaching every single person within our circle, within our sphere of influence. So what I want to do is I want to help you identify who is in your life that you could practically invite to church. Because you could do it two ways. One, you could go in the subway and you could get a megaphone and you could start reading some of these verses here and say you got to come to church. Probably not effective, probably not going to work, all right? Or you could just look at people in your life, who you can invite and who you could just practically say, can you come to church with me on Sunday? So what I've got here in your notes is this little circles called, what I'm calling it the spheres of influence. How do we determine who to invite uh, to be a part of our church? The first circle there is the center one. In the screen here, it's the one in red. But this one here, you can write in the top of your notes, is family. Family. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through each one of these spheres. But you'll see at the bottom, there's like four or five different bullet points. And so what I want you to do is while you're hearing me talk about spheres of influence, right there between those four to five bullet points, write down the names of people that come to your mind, family members, other names that come to your mind of who you could invite to be at church. Now, family, why this is the first one, why it's in the center, is because you're most likely to reach people that are in your family. Why? Because your family knows you. They know your quirks. They know how weird you are, right? You're, you're not weird, all right? But they know everything about you, right? And so they know that, man, if your faith is serious and it's something that you're passionate about, well, they're more likely to see why are you passionate about your faith. So maybe for you, that first step is to invite family members to be a part of our church. And if you think of family members, neighbor, or not neighbor, family members, uh, aunts, cousins, uncles, write them down here in, in your notes there. So family is the first sphere of influence. The second thing you can write down is friends. So I start with my family, then I go to my friends, people that I just naturally hang out with. You know, maybe it might be someone that you run in the park with, uh, people that you turn to when you're facing a tough time in your life. Do these people have a relationship with Jesus? Do these people go to church on a regular basis on a Sunday morning? If not, you know, write some names of friends that you know could be a part of church. Uh, the third circle is coworkers or classmates. Coworkers or classmates. You know, who are the people that you work with? Maybe the person that you share a cubicle with. Maybe it's your supervisor, and you're like, man, my supervisor definitely needs Jesus. But write that person's name down. Who knows, right? Uh, it could be classmates. Uh, maybe you're in school, and you have people that you associate with at school. Maybe there's a classmate there where you can invite to be a part of church. Uh, and then the last circle is simply neighbors or others. Now, other sounds like a generic word. But neighbors are people that live in your apartment building. Maybe you don't know them, but you're like, hey, I see that guy every time I'm throwing the trash out. That's a person I can invite to church. Or others, people, you know, that you just kind of connect with. Maybe it's at Starbucks, that barista that you always know. And you're like, hey, I could probably invite that person to church. So when we look at these spheres, family, friends, coworkers, and classmates, neighbors, or others, when we look at these spheres, we can determine that this is people that I could most likely reach. 
Again, you could go in the subway and you could give a, a bullhorn and you could shout the name of Jesus all you want, or you could reach your family members, your friends, your coworkers, your classmates, your neighbors, and I bet you that would be more likely and more significant. So what I do is I recognize God wants to use me. I identify people that, that are in my sphere of influence. And then the third step is I care enough to extend an invitation to church. Once I know God wants to use me, once I identify people in my life that I could invite, then I have to care enough to extend an invitation to church. And see, if you truly believe that Jesus can change lives, well, then you have to take the next step and care enough to offer them an invitation to church. We see this all throughout the Bible. You know, Philip did that with Nathaniel. Jesus shows up to Philip, and he says, come follow me. And Philip's like, man, this is awesome. Let me go get my brother real quick. So he goes, and he gets Nathaniel. And I love Nathaniel's first response. If you read in John chapter 1 in your Bible, Nathaniel's first response is, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? It's almost like if someone were to say, hey, man, Come to the journey. Come see what God is doing here in Queens. Queens? Does anything happen in Queens? Yeah, man, there's this church, right? It's exciting. And so that's what Philip did with Nathaniel. Nathaniel had a lot of doubts, but look at what his reply is. And you notice he says, come and see for yourself. You know, truth is a lot of people have doubts about God. A lot of people have doubts about Jesus, about Christianity. Our job is not to have all the answers. You don't have to meet with someone and tell you, let me tell you about the transubstantiation of Christ. No, you don't have to do that, all right? All you have to do is just, hey, come and see. Come and see what God is doing here at our church. And the reason why is because you can think about it in your own life. In your own life, Jesus was better experienced than explained. Jesus was much better experienced in your life than he was explained. And so that's why I'm challenging all of us that sometimes all we have to do is bring people to an environment where they could learn about Jesus, and from there, Jesus could take care of everything from there. You don't have to worry about the answers. Just invite people to an experience with Christ. Now, next week, we're kicking off a new series called Empire State of Mind. And really, the reason why is because in New York City, we use that slogan all the time. I'm in an empire state of mind. And the reason why is because empire state of mind, what it means is like I'm living life at the highest level possible. Life couldn't get any better than this. But to be honest, most of us, we, we're not living like that, right? We're like, man, life is okay, but if this could happen or this, man, life would be a whole lot better. And so what we're going to do over the next eight weeks is we're going to take Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And, and if you read it, three chapters, Jesus has some crazy stuff he talks about. I mean, he starts off with the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek, the, the, the eight ways of blessing. But then in between, there's all these other unique things. I mean, Jesus has these incredible one-liners in, in the entire Sermon on the Mount. He says, no one can serve two masters. Like, wow, that's incredible, right? The, the golden rule is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Then Jesus got all, all these interesting things, too, like never throw your pearls to swine. What? I don't know. But hey, we're going to look at some of that stuff, right? And then in the middle of the, of the Sermon on the Mount, there's the Lord's Prayer, right? One of the most beautiful passages of Scripture. There's parables. There's, uh, you know, the wise and the foolish builder. In between, there's all these incredible things. And we're going to dive in week to week, talk about what is Jesus talking about, and how do we live this higher level living? How do we achieve all these things? And so I want to challenge you, because there's a lot of people in your life that are really struggling right now. 
lot of people in your life that they're probably making the most money they've ever made, but they still feel empty inside. A lot of people that they've worked so hard to climb the ladder of career, and they've reached the top, and they should be celebrating, but they're like, something's missing. Something is not right. You know, a lot of people, they might have all the friendships in the world. They might be busy Friday nights and Saturday nights. They might have everything all together on the outside, but inside, something's just not right. And who knows how your invitation could help make a difference in someone's life. I genuinely believe that having Jesus in our life makes life better. When we have Jesus in our life, life makes everything better. I mean, don't, don't you believe that? Uh, in fact, let me ask you this. How many of you here, to be honest, how many of you here, you secretly harbor bitterness and resentment towards that friend who invited you to the journey? <laughs> Anybody? You know, like, oh, man, this person invited me. They said I was going to have a good time, and I did. I, I can't stand them for that. Right? None of us, right? You came, and, and you enjoyed it, and, and, and you're a part today of what God is doing at the journey. And for many of you, someone invited you, and they said, come and see what this is about. You came. And then you invited someone, and you said, hey, man, you got to see what's happening here. And they came, and they enjoyed it, and they invited someone else. See, when we invite people, you have no idea how much you're helping God or how much you're working on behalf of God in someone's life. So we have to care about those to extend an invitation to church. And so once we do all these things, because it's very risky, right, let's look at the last step. Number four in the back of your notes is once I care enough, once I identify people in my life, once I believe God wants to use me, the last step is I experience God's blessing in my own life. I experience God's blessing in my own life. You know, there's something interesting in God's economy that God says that when you give of your time, your talent, your treasure, when you give your testimony, God always gives back. When I give to others and I bless others, God always in turn blesses me. And I believe there is no greater way to bless someone else's life than to point them to the hope that is found in Jesus Christ alone. And so when I make my life count and I get connected to God and I invite others, God blesses me in return. And in turn, I begin to find true life and live life at a higher level. Look at Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25 in our notes. In fact, let, let's read this out loud together, starting with the one. Ready? Go. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. Now, this verse is a guarantee. Take it to the bank. You know this is going to happen. So when you help others, you will be abundantly blessed. But what this verse is not saying is the opposite, that when I don't help others, God's blessing might not be guaranteed. If I live life and I live my faith as if it's just for myself, God's blessing might not necessarily be guaranteed. Now, I learned this when I was 16 years old. When I was 16 years old, I began my first ever job. Back in, at 16 in New York State, you had to get these things called working papers. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Working papers in order to work. All right, good. You guys know what I mean. So working papers. And I worked my first ever job, made $5.15 minimum wage, McDonald's, baby. McDonald's, man. The golden arches, right? And I remember like my first day at work, people were like, man, when you see how the food is made, you're never going to want to eat there again. 
man, I went to McDonald's yesterday. It was so good. It was so good. The Big Mac, you know. And uh, so I worked at McDonald's, was a grill boy. That was like my first step, you know, flipping the burgers and all that stuff. And I'll never forget it because I was young. My first ever job, I was a Christian at the time, but like everyone I worked with was my age, and they were definitely not Christians, I don't think. In fact, every other word was a four-letter word that I probably should not say in church, right? Every other word was that. I was like, man, this is a little bit awkward. And so I knew, like, man, if I believe in Christ, I have a, a duty to share my faith with others. But honestly, I struggled. And, and being 16, I was insecure. I was afraid of how people were going to view me. And one day, I met a kid named Brandon. Brandon had a brother named John. They both worked at McDonald's. They were like lifers at McDonald's. And uh, Brandon, he was like this really nice kid. He was a nice guy. Honestly, he never placed his faith in Christ, but, but just by outward appearance, it's like, man, this is a guy who just like is a good guy, a nice guy. And uh, we struck up a pretty good friendship. Uh, more and more, I talked to Brandon, I began to realize he had a lot of health challenges. He was only 17 years old, but he had a heart attack like around age 14. So, you know, he couldn't really do much. And we just struck up a good friendship. And I knew that, man, I got to invite this guy to church one day, but I couldn't. Every time I wanted to get the words out, I don't really know, but I'll never forget one night we were working and two police officers walked in and they said, we're looking for Brandon. And we were all there like, what? This, this is like the nicest guy in the world. What, what did he do? Oh my goodness, this is bad. If he's getting in trouble, there's no hope for any of us, right? We're like, man, what happened to Brandon? And so they pulled him away and the whole time at work, we're all wondering like, what's going on? What happened? And I'll never forget that night, I turned on the 11 o'clock news and what I learned was Brandon's brother, John, it was a hot day like today. Him and his friends, they jumped off a bridge to go swimming in a river, and the current was too strong. And four kids went swimming that day. Only two came out. So John, Brandon's brother, died, and so did another friend. And that day was the last day I saw Brandon. That day, was, that was it. And to be honest, I, I missed my opportunity. You know, I knew, man, I got to share my faith with this guy. I knew, honestly, that, that if I probably just invited him, said, just come to my church, I, I would have believed that he would have at least just came and seen what the church was about. But to be honest, many years later, it still haunts me. That, like, I, I had the opportunity. I had the hope. I had the answer. And I just, I, I did nothing. I was insecure. I was afraid. I didn't know enough. I was busy. And I kept myself from sharing my faith. You see, what God cares most about is lost people reconciling back to him. What God cares most about is his creation connecting with the creator. And see, if we're going to do something that outlasts ourselves, let it be inviting people to Christ. God doesn't care how much money you have in your bank account. God doesn't care what type of job you have. God doesn't care what your LinkedIn profile is. God cares about what are you doing each day to point people to me. And look, only thing that we have guaranteed is today. The only thing we have guaranteed is this moment. That's why it's so important that we maximize our opportunities and invite someone to be a part and to learn more about Christ. If there was one guy who understood this, it was the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 20, verse 24 in your notes, Paul said this. He said, but my life is worth nothing unless I do it unless I use it for doing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and love. What God cares most about is pointing people to him and connecting others to him. 
And who knows how God can use you this week to help change someone's life. Let's take a moment and pray. God, we thank you for this day and this time where we could be reminded that of all the things in life, what you care most about is connecting people back to you. God, your word is very clear. It says that when we're without you in our life, God, we're lost. We're without purpose. We're without meaning. We're without fulfillment in our life. And so, God, if there's anyone here who's lost and just not able to find true fulfillment in you today, God, we surrender our life before you, and we trust that you are the way. We're willing to surrender our plans, our path over to you, God. But God, for most of us, we've already made that decision. And I pray this week that you would give us the boldness like no other to just step out in faith, walk across the room, walk across the cubicle, and just invite someone to be a part of church. Because God, we know that Jesus needs to be experienced, not explained. And so God, let us overcome our fears, let us overcome our doubts and our worries, and just walk in confidence to the faith that you've given us. So God, I pray you give us all these things in your name. And everybody said, amen.